Cooking for Politics podcast is brought to you by Global Pulse Media, which has partnered with Hivecast FM, a firm that assembles a creative and professional team that takes podcasts such as Cooking for Politics to the next level. This team handles all audio and video editing services. So for a nominal fee, you will get a personal account manager that helps take the headache out of editing and just leave podcasters like myself focus on just creating good content for their audiences. So if you're a podcaster listening and need help editing, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached at cuckooforpolitics at gmail.com. I could not have succeeded without this talented team at Hivecast FM. This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Kuka for Politics. I am so passionate about politics, hence the name Kuka for Politics, and I hope you are too. Thanks for joining. This is a podcast discussion on political perspectives on various issues that matter with citizens of the world. So I do ask that you grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or a spirit or two, and let's get ready for some lively conversation and let's learn something together. In the United States, a district attorney is the chief prosecutor and or chief law enforcement officer representing a state and local government, typically a county or a group of counties. Their role is to investigate, evaluate, and prosecute criminal violations committed within their jurisdiction. They are also involved in community policing, law enforcement training, and task force operations. Furthermore, they provide legal assistance to criminal investigations conducted by local law enforcement agencies. In practice, that person who holds the office prosecutes the bulk of criminal cases. But they're also assisted by assistant district attorneys, also known as ADAs. Monroe County, Pennsylvania, better known to the wider audience as the Poconos, is a fast and upcoming county in terms of overall population due to the affordability of housing and the cost of goods and services when you compare it to nearby states of New York and New Jersey. The area not only attracts people to enjoy a certain lifestyle, but attracts people from all over to vacation as the Poconos offers a wide variety of indoor and outdoor activities for all ages and for in every season. I do love this area, but like all communities throughout our country, comes with its own set of problems such as crime and other public safety related issues. The Monroe County District Attorney's Office consists of prosecutors, secretaries, victim and witness advocates, full-time detectives, and an office manager to make sure everything is running smoothly. The DA's office also oversees four municipal police departments, one state university police department, and three state police barracks for a population of well over 170,000. Now, you, the listener, may not be from this county or from the state of Pennsylvania, and may think, you know what, I'm just going to skip this episode, as this seems like a conversation about a local race that really does not apply to me. But I would encourage you not to do so. The issues we will be discussing piggybacks from a previous episode, 41, titled Why? 
As you recall, in that segment, some of the topics discussed included America's gun-related epidemic in regards to mass shootings taking place seems to be like every day in the U.S., as well as the disparity of treatment in the black and brown communities at the hands of law enforcement. The Office of District Attorney is very influential as it sets the tone in how cases would be prosecuted and what types of cases he or she will pursue on behalf of the public. Although this episode will focus on getting to know a particular candidate, it would also provide you, the listener, a member of the voting public who may live in a small city like the Poconos or a large one like New York and Philly, as the issues mentioned in this episode will apply to wherever you live in America. Joining me in this discussion on why he wants to be Mr. District Attorney, it's Attorney Don Leith, a candidate for the Office of District Attorney in Monroe County. This position is an elected post, and it serves a four-year term. David Christine Jr. is currently the DA and is retiring after his serving his six-year term in office. Don hopes with the blessing of the county voters, he would succeed Mr. Christine and be elected this fall but he must first win the Democratic primary that will soon take place in this coming May. Specifically to Monroe County listeners, May 16th is primary day in Pennsylvania, so know your polling place. If voting in person, mail your ballots on time. If opting to mail in your vote, and better yet, drop off your ballot at the election office or drop boxes for an on-timely arrival. Nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to another episode of Kuku for Politics, and let's get ready for some lively discussion while learning something together. What's up, good people? Michael here, host of the political podcast, Kuku for Politics. Once again, thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. Today, I have the honor of having a casual conversation with Donald Leith, who's running for the district attorney for Monroe County in Pennsylvania. Um, Don, I know it's been a hectic schedule for you, not only campaigning, balancing campaigning, family life, and of course, your present job as a lawyer. So I want to thank you for taking the time to be on Kuka for Politics. No, absolutely, Michael. I appreciate you having me on uh, the, the podcast uh, this is an important conversation that I think we need to be discussing, uh, not only in Monroe County, but throughout our country. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we get started with the meat and potatoes of our conversation, um, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? So, um, so they get understanding the background and, you know, a little more getting more comfortable with you. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, my name is Don Leith. I'm running for district attorney here in Monroe County. Uh, I've been practicing in in Monroe County oh for probably about 24 years now. Uh, came from Monroe County, from the great state of Oklahoma, uh, where I was raised in uh, a, a cattle ranch in Oklahoma, which was probably one of the reasons that uh, made me want to become a lawyer. Uh, but came to uh, Monroe County about 24 years ago with a two-year plan. Met a girl. Uh, had four kids, and uh, I'll be, you know, buried here in Monroe County. So it's a, a great community uh, to, to to really start a, a career, and uh, that's what I've been doing. Well, I won't rush the end of your life yet, but um, yeah. I, I I see you're, you're dedicated to the to the county itself and to the state. You know, I was reading up a little bit about your bio, 
And it seemed like you wanted to be a pilot, but then you joined the JAG division, which is, I remember the TV show JAG. Is that, um, could you explain that? Yeah, it was one of those things that I always uh, had had the idea that uh, maybe it was the Top Gun era or something. But uh, as you were graduating from high yeah. school, everybody wanted to, to do something exciting and new. Uh, so I actually wanted to be a, a Navy pilot. Uh, but as I started, you know, going through college, I had an opportunity to do an internship uh, with the uh, United States JAG Corps. And that was really my first taste in regards to uh, trials. Uh, and I did an internship for uh, Trial Defense Services, uh, which defends uh, defendants uh, under the uh, Uniform Military Justice Act. Uh, and that's what kind of, I guess, uh, gave me the bug in regards to giving the idea that this is something that uh, I, I can do. This is something that that I would enjoy doing uh, and something I also, you know, recognize the need for. Did you, So you served with, in the Navy? I didn't actually serve. It was just an internship with the, uh, uh, the JAG Corps. Uh, but that's what prompted me to ultimately want to go on to law school uh, and become a lawyer. Oh, that's excellent. Um, because from the TV show, it seems like those who participate in that were all active military. So that's in conjunction. I did, That's a good thing that they have an internship because you never know. I always think these intern programs plant the seed for young people to broaden the horizon. And I noticed that in most school districts, um, they, there's not enough investment into youth programs. Um, I think that's something that's lost. And I think with our budget cuts and so forth like that, I find that um, these programs are vital, not only to keep the children or child student um, involved, but you, n- you never know where that um, activity uh, could lead that individual. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's a lot to be said about, you know, uh, real world experience. Uh, whether it be through an internship, whether it be through mentors in your local community. Uh, well, I can tell you the, the internship wasn't quite as uh, exciting as the, uh, the TV show, The Jag Corps. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they appreciated my ability with golf clubs more than anything else, but uh, I, I had a good time and it was a good experience. All righty. Well, that, that's good. Um, out of curiosity, from that point on, you went to go to law, you went to law school and what, particular area of law that you find yourself fascinating? I always wanted to try cases. Uh, maybe it was the episodes of Law & Order where you see the the, the nice half-hour uh, you know, prosecution of a criminal case uh, that results in, in, in a verdict. Uh, but, but to me, uh, I always wanted to be a trial lawyer. I always wanted to you know, practice in uh, criminal law uh, because I think that is uh, you know, my idea of where justice is served, uh, whether it's fighting for justice on behalf of a, a victim of crime or whether it's fighting for justice on behalf of a criminal defendant. Uh, both prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys are you know, crucial in regards to our, our criminal justice system. Don, I want to thank you for sharing your brief background with us. It actually provides listeners with some insight on who you are. Now, as I said, let's get ready to go into our meat and potatoes of our conversation, as you wish to be the next DA. I would like to begin by talking about a controversial case that I'm sure you're very familiar with that took place back in December of 2020. This involved a young man named Christian Hall and Pennsylvania State Troopers. Yeah, uh, you know, Christian Hall is one of, one of the large reasons why I decided to, you know, run for district attorney. 
uh, is, you know, how that investigation was handled or mishandled, uh, because I think it really has degraded the trust, uh, well, at least within our community, in regards to the district attorney's office and, and the law enforcement community. Now, to the larger audience, I mentioned Christian Hall, and just to give you a little background, um, this took place back in December, I want to say 20, 2020, and it was a, a big case that took place, and it involved a PA state troopers that shot a 19-year-old, and he was Chinese-American, and his name was Christian Hall. Um, there was video footages of, the, I believe, his hands were up, and Due to altercation between the police and Mr. Hall, um, un unfortunately, he was shot because there were the presence. The police, I believe, were under the impression that he had a weapon. Am I correct on that? Sure. Christian Hall was uh, in a mental crisis at the time and actually contacted 911 in regards to seeking help. Uh, it was later determined that he was holding a, a starter pistol, uh, wasn't an actual firearm. Um, but, you know, it, police can't make a distinction in every case, whether it's a, a starter pistol uh, or, or, you know, a real firearm. Uh, but there was a standoff over an overpass uh, here in Monroe County uh, that, you know, unfortunately uh, ended in Christian Hall's uh, life. Now, the current DA, David Christian Jr., he was involved in that. And I believe... There was there was enough. The family and there was protest saying they wanted the investigation outside the DA's office, and they wanted um, an external, um, either the FBI or the, or um, Attorney General for the state um, to come and investigate. But that was blocked, and I did not realize that the district attorney could say we will allow external um, um, investigation or not. I mean, that's a powerful role to have when it's something involving like that. I would think that they would welcome um, just to make sure it's clear and it doesn't, you don't lose the public trust. Well, like I said, you know, the district attorney is the chief law enforcement officer of this county. Uh, so when there is a, an incident or an officer involved shooting, such as, uh, you know, the Christian Hall matter, uh, it's within the discretion of the district attorney in regards to how that investigation is going to go. Uh, and I think if you had talked to any you know, district attorney, any prosecutor's office, uh, you know, the things that you're always are going to look for is an independent investigation and a transparent investigation to make sure that you hold all parties accountable. And, and that's where it's very difficult when a prosecutor or a district attorney's office works hand in hand with these police officers on day-to-day uh, -day activities is it questions the independence of, you know, that investigation. Uh, particularly in the Christian Hall case, uh, you know, this was a Pennsylvania State Police shooting where the Pennsylvania State Police investigated the incident. Uh, there were initial statements made that uh, Christian Hall had actually directed the firearm at them. Uh, and as the district attorney reviewed this Pennsylvania State Police investigation, uh, they made a determination that it was suicide by cop. And while uh, David Christine is the district attorney, uh, it was actually the first assistant district attorney, Michael Mancuso, uh, who reviewed the state police investigation and ruled that it was a justified shooting uh, as a suicide by cop.
Um, yeah, I did read that. And Michael Mancuso, he's also running for a district attorney. He did, um, I think he made a comment to the fact that it was, as you said, was it uh, cop by suicide? Suicide by cop is what he oh, yeah. determined it. Yeah, suicide by cop scenario. That's his exact quote. Suicide by cop scenario. Now, I believe there was an argument, like I said, to have um, this investigated, but I believe he, his, he was also saying that the state attorney at the time was, um, who's the current governor, Shapiro, um, that their office would not be able to handle such a case. Therefore, it would have been best to keep it local. And I believe the office at the time says the district attorney would be able to handle such cases as they have done in the past. And I believe they've handled 10 cases for uh, Monroe County specifically. Do you have a problem with if you were elected uh, as district attorney and Hopefully this does not happen again, but if it was, would you be open for um, the state attorney general well, to uh, get involved? Yeah, I mean, it goes even further than that because after the press conference, uh, what was really uh, somewhat disturbing is there was a 10-second clip that was uh, eliminated. Uh, and the district attorney's office left the impression that just like the Pennsylvania State Police had said that Christian Hall had uh, you know, directed the firearm at them. And the district attorney's office didn't correct that. Rather, they said that he was holding, was walking towards them with the gun raised. Uh, and you know, this is where it comes into not only the independent investigation, but the transparency of the investigation. Uh, so Christian's family, uh, Faye and Gareth Hall, actually had to go to the extremes of suing to get the actual uh, unredacted 10 seconds of that video. And at that point, it showed that Christian Hall never walked towards the Pennsylvania State Police and his hands were up uh, at the whole time. Uh, and that's when it really said, hey, we need an independent investigation. Uh, and the district attorney's office refused to refer it to the attorney general's office for an investigation. Uh, in fact, they were quoted at the time as to saying, hey, why would we send it to this, you know, this guy, this attorney general, Josh Shapiro, who's never tried a case, uh, myself and, you know, Dave Christine, we've tried hundreds of cases more than him in regards to whether this should be prosecuted or not. Uh, and, you know, we have the resources to do it. Uh, so we're not referring it to the attorney general's office. Wow, that's uh, yeah. And this is where, you know. Is begins to question because of there's two things that came to mind. There was a, a quote by David Raronsky. He's a senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania in law school. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he argues that there's an inherent conflict of interest with the local prosecutor when asked to investigate cops. Um, it seems like they will protect um, law enforcement officials versus looking after to thoroughly investigate the victim. Do you see that there's inherent conflict at times between the DA's office and law enforcement? 
I always see that there's the appearance of impropriety in regards to those investigations uh, because it is that public perception in regards to working hand to hand. I think, you know, mo most people think that they can be fair and impartial. Uh, and I, I like to, I would like to think that any case that I'm reviewing and investigating that I can be fair and impartial. However, the reality is that there is always an implicit bias uh, when you start reviewing those cases. Uh, and, you know, Professor Rudofsky is very well versed in regards to uh, whether it be search and seizure law and criminal law, uh, but he also recognizes that relationship between the district attorney's office and investigating agencies. Uh, and, and serving 13 years in the district attorney's office, I know that relationship. Uh, th these are the, the, the guys, these troopers are people that you're working with, you're trying cases together, you're investigating cases. Uh, so I think it's hard to assume that there's not going to be implicit bias and to expect the public to trust that decision. Don, the events surrounding the untimely death of Christian Hall still resonates deeply in this community. If I may, what would you be looking to accomplish or improve if elected this fall? Yeah, well, what I've always said is that I'm, I'm running for district attorney because I can do, uh, believe I can do better than business as usual. Uh, here in Monroe County. So what is business as usual? Yeah, business as usual is just the you know continued policies in regards to an adversarial process in regards to our criminal justice system, where you're willing to do whatever it takes in regards to uh, getting another notch in the belt in regards to, to winning a case. Uh, we have to move away from just the idea of being tough on crime uh, and really take a look at it in regards to the societal effect. So you want to inject a heart into the a tough on crime type of deal? Well, what we got to inject is one, we got to protect the community, but we also have to do so in a way that's building trust within the community. Uh, and that's really where our DA's office has failed, uh, is that there's been a deg degradation of trust. And our next DA has to address issues in regards to equality of justice, has to address issues in regards to substance abuse, mental health, and juvenile reform. What examples can you say um, that has formulated a distrust between the DA's office and the public? Uh, I, I think it's just the overall policing. Uh, you know, we put our police officers on the front line and we ask them to, to do so much in regards to uh, mental health, in regards to homelessness, in regards to, to substance abuse, and we don't give them the resources in regards to uh, addressing these issues. Uh, and we've created a, a culture uh, where it's them versus us, uh, where there is a distrust by our community against the police forces. Uh, so, you know, in Monroe County, uh, for instance, uh, we are a population of 170,000, which in, you know, grand scheme of things is, is still a fairly small county. Uh, but you look at the uh, statistics in regards to our, our county, 71% uh, is white, 13% is black. Uh, you look at the uh, statistics in regards to the level of incarceration, uh, the uh, black community uh, is accounts for 20, 26% of our incarcerated individuals. Uh, you look at the uh, issues in regards to bail. Uh, in Monroe County, uh, if you're black, you're more likely to have secured bail and be sitting in jail uh, subject to resolution of your cases. And on average, it's about 11,000 higher uh, than, say, a white defendant's. So, you know, these are different issues that have eroded the trust in regards to law enforcement in Monroe, in Monroe County. There's no def there's definitely a perception that it is us against them type of confrontation between law enforcement 
and the community, particularly communities of color. There is definitely years and decades of distrust. Um, I don't have to watch uh, the civil rights movement, uh, Eyes on a Prize documentary. This is present day and it's continuously and over and over again, we see news reports of the law enforcement breaking the public trust. And you're saying that you're going to try to balance that. Now, how do you balance that with the victim and keeping a good reputation with law enforcement? It's really getting the community involved. Uh, it's it's getting the right professionals in regards to the different incidents and not relying on the police, uh, trying to re- remove some of the burden off of their shoulders. Uh, so you have the right professionals addressing issues in regards to mental health. You have the right uh, professionals uh, addressing issues in regards to substance abuse. So you can let police officers get back to what they're trained for, uh, and that is community policing. Uh, so you can have positive interactions with the community uh, where everything isn't under the, the, the microscope of a, a, of a traffic stop, uh, where everything isn't scrutinized in regards to, uh, you know, proactive uh, police engagements that are uh, meant to ferret out crime, but in reality are accounting for racial profiling. Okay, Don, remember prior to recording, I said I'm going to ask you some tough questions and you said you're ready. Well, here it goes. There have been case studies that prove there is a significant disproportion of black and brown motorists that are way often pulled over for routine traffic stops than any other ethnicity in America. Although black drivers are less likely to be stopped at night, as police can't accurately discern the racial makeup of the individual behind a wheel, however, when stopped, they're often subject to being searched. Now, as a criminal defense attorney, are you aware of these statistics? Being a criminal defense lawyer, it became shockingly uh, just apparent in regards to the disproportionate effect in regards to traffic stops against the black and Latino communities. Uh, you know, there have been settlements in regards to racial profiling. I think this really comes down to, you know, an issue of, you know, systemic racism and systemic problems within our judicial system. Uh, where racial profiling is rewarded as good police work. Uh, and, you know, that, that is something that has to stop. Uh, interestingly, in, in Pennsylvania alone, the Pennsylvania State Police uh, used to track the actual encounters on traffic stops. And they would keep the numbers in regards to resulting in, uh, whether it resulted in arrest, whether it resulted in a citation, uh, or there was, you know, no action taken. Uh, they actually stopped keeping those statistics in 2012. Now they've been directed to start taking those statistics again, uh, but I think there's been some you know database issues, so we don't quite have those updated numbers. Uh, but absolutely, uh, you know, like I said, this is an important conversation, and I think everybody who's you know really sees what's going on uh, is aware of the term you know driving while black uh, because it, it is real. It is. And um, we recall the conversation that President Biden spoke at the State of the Union address about the talk and that something that he was he was made aware of as far as with um, black children or um, would be instructed or advised by their family, particularly um, their parents telling them, you know, what to do when pulled over by the police. And I don't know if I shared this with you, but I call. I have something in my car. It's called I call it the Ferguson camera, <laughs> and 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 I, I call that because of if you recall, um, 
um, the protests just during the Obama administration, doing a hands up, don't shoot, that call that the the young man, and I, I want to say it was a young Mr. Brown, I want to say, that he, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Um, when I get pulled over by uh, a police officer, I make sure I let them know that they're on camera, um, just so they know it's to protect them and protect me as well. And um, it's unfortunate I, as a black motorist, I have to do that. And when I have this discussion with other um, friends of mine who are not black, and they say, oh, I never even heard of that or even thought of doing that. I said, that's the extra precaution that I have to do because unfortunately, um, statistics doesn't, it's not on my side and I, I, I have to do these things. So driving while black is a real thing. Absolutely. It's, it's a shame that we even have you know, apps that you can download on your phone in regards to automatic triggering these events in regards to recording these stops, uh, you know, to, to avoid, uh, you know, the, the, these encounters. What really was telling uh, to me uh, is the difference in my household and my sister's household. Uh, because my sister is married to a police captain uh, who happens to be black uh, and they have two sons. And the conversations that they were having with their two sons was not the conversation that I was having with my son. Uh, I've never talked with my son in regards to, you know, what are you going to do if there's an encounter with the police? What are you going to do in regards to, uh, you know, when a police officer approaches your vehicle? What are you going to do in regards to, uh, you know, commands by the police? It's something that I just take for granted that it's not going to happen. Uh, but that's that's not the case in, you know, my sister's household. Uh, and it's merely because of the color of their skin. Yeah, and, and it was unfortunate. It's real. And I, I'll have to say, just to, to clarify to listeners, it's not like I get pulled over every two seconds. But when I do, it's good to have that camera as well as that app that you just mentioned, too, and that has been created. And I know during the peak of the Black Lives Matter protests um, in the summer of 2020, um, the governor, then Governor Wolf, signed into law requiring law enforcement agencies to consult a state database, and which was good because then, if a candidate wanted to uh, to be a cop, the state agency itself would have to take it upon themselves to investigate that candidate even further by finding out if he or she had any disciplinary. Um, uh, actions are taken upon them within the state, I believe. So sure. if, if they violated, they were found disciplined and, and guilty in one municipality, they couldn't cross the line and apply for a job and thinking, okay, that won't count. And I'm glad that happened. And that's because of protest. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there have been a number of different reforms in regards to, again, trying to keep that, you know, transparency in regards to, you know, everything that law enforcement is doing, uh, because that transparency is, is, is important in regards to building trust in, in the community. Uh, you know, there, there are still a lot of issues in regards to a system like that. And, you know, police officers are, are, you know, very hesitant to report misconduct by other police officers. Uh, you know, whether we see it in, you know, the Tyree Nichols case, or we see it in, you know, so many different circumstances. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I think it's, you know, just, just an excuse that we blame it on, you know, a, a bunch of bad apples, uh, because it is more than just a bunch of bad apples. It, it is systemic in the way we police. Uh, and that's why we really have to have these conversations in regards to changing the way we, you know, police. 
There are a series of stalled legislation in most state houses and in Congress, for that matter, that are drafted to address the problems placated in both the judicial and criminal justice systems. With that in mind, how are you going to convince a wary public that justice is blind? Well, and that's the thing. It's not just going to be one person. It's just not going to be, you know, the district attorney's office. It has to be a community approach. Uh, and that's why I've reached out in regards to members of the community, whether it be the NAACP, whether it be uh, women's resources, whether it be the mental health professionals, whether it be, uh, you know, Monroe County Drug and Alcohol. Uh, the, these are different agencies that we need to start, you know, bringing together to start working towards a community solution uh, because we can't ask the police to solve every problem. Uh, and it's got to start in the district attorney's office because that is the chief law enforcement office of, of, of Monroe County. And that is the role in regards to leadership to bring these resources together. I would encourage you not only that, like you said, it's going to be a, a community approach. When you do go out to these uh, different areas, I would encourage you to take along with you um, either a high-ranking officer within law enforcement to also reinforce that notion that you guys are hand-in-hand, hand, that you're here to protect, and as well as to serve. And that serve part seems to get lost in translation. Yeah, I, I, I think what really gets lost in the translation uh, is the efforts in regards to you know building that trust, because I haven't seen it here in Monroe County. Uh, and that that's really... Uh, the proof is going to be in the pudding. Uh, so, you know, different things that we got to start working towards is we got to start working towards, you know, fair bail, uh, eliminating the cash bail. So there's not a disproportionate effect in regards to, uh, you know, the black and Latino community. We got to start working in regards to, you know, decriminalize decriminalization in regards to marijuana. Uh, where again, it is disproportionately affecting our marginalized community. Uh, we got to start expanding police uh, uh, forces. Uh, go outside of Monroe County to seek uh, police officers. Go outside Monroe County to seek prosecutors and assistant district attorneys. Uh, so the, the public sees those efforts in regards to trying to build that trust and trying to work towards equality of justice. So you're you're basically saying that you need to diversify the workforce, not only within your office, but incentivize the um, law enforcement officials to come from different areas of the country to come um, to Monroe County. is That's going to be a challenge. There, there, there are a number of challenges on, on every issues. Uh, but one of those that we have to work towards is we do have to start diversifying law enforcement. Is that the sole answer? No. We saw in Memphis that that's not going to be the sole answer. Uh, but we also have to start eliminating uh, some of the, you know, restrictions that we have in regards to diversity in our police force, uh, whether it be low-level drug offenses that people have been convicted, whether it be uh, issues in regards to, you know, training and education. Uh, it, it's recognizing that there's a better way of doing things than what we're doing right now. Uh, you know, for example, uh, Attorney Josh Shapiro, excuse me, Governor Josh Shapiro uh, has, you know, passed crime bill in regards to uh, expanding police forces uh, to, to work towards uh, this diversity. I like the fact that you, you say you had to correct yourself because he could be hearing you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what you, you said bail reform, which is a big thing um, nationally as well, not just in the state of Pennsylvania or just in Monroe County. Um, and I, I like the fact that you're, you're trying to 
you you basically have an open mind and it basically is going to take a lot of um uh, ideas to enhance to make our community feel more safe and comfortable. Would you say that our issues that are facing in Monroe County is totally different? What's going on in our sister city of Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, Monroe County is going to have different issues than uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. We are not, you know, a metropolitan area. Uh, you know, while we, you know, have, uh, you know, changed in regards to, uh, you know, our population has grown over the last few decades. Uh, due to our proximity in New York, we do have a large commuter population, but we're dealing with different issues. Uh, one one of the main issues that we're dealing in regards to, you know, Monroe County is that the large increase we see in our prison population uh, is incarceration prior uh, to, to trial. Uh, so when we start talking about addressing bail reform, uh, we can look at more evidence-based solutions rather than cash bail, uh, whether it's pretrial release, whether it's just, you know, uh, following up in regards to ensuring court appearances. Uh, you know, th th those are common sense approaches. They're going to be more successful into a community like this. What would you say to critics who would say, because of such bail reform, basically we're allowing, we're having a revolving door that criminals would be able to if you change, if you have this bail reform, they'll be able to be released so quickly and commit that same crime all over again or go after the victims or their families and so forth. Like That's a big critique, particularly on conservative talk radio. Well, it's a big critique, big critique on conservative talk radio, but the evidence uh, is, isn't supporting that. Uh, while we've seen an increase in crime, uh, you know, based on a number of socioeconomic issues, uh, it hasn't come down to states you know, passing progressive issues in regards to bail reform. Uh, to the opposite, you know, uh, County of Los Angeles Im imposed a system where they just simply uh, set up a call system to remind people to come to court. Uh, and they saw that that was more effective in regards to having people comply with bail conditions, which are just those issues that you talked about, than anything in regards to cash bail. What would you? How would you address the rampant uh, gun violence, the legal use of guns that have been just perforated in our community? Well, we, we got to get back in regards to just common sense, rational uh, gun legislation. Uh, that's you know the, the first thing that we've got to do, and we have to enforce the laws on the books. There can't be a picking and choosing in regards to uh, when we selectively prosecute a case or don't uh, prosecute a case. So, I would say that. A gun owner would say, I feel offended. I'm, a, I'm in Pennsylvania. I have my gun because I hunt or use it for sport, and you're trying to take away my gun. How do you convince people like that? Well, it's not a matter of taking away their gun. Uh, those are legally possessed firearms. Uh, we're talking about common sense approaches in regards to education, common sense approaches in regards to universal background checks. There are so many reforms that are needed in the overall landscape in America's justice system. So with that, what other changes you would like to see that can help both improve and foster trust between the citizen and the system? You know, re really, it's the, the entire community in regards to policing. Uh, I, I think our, the war on drugs, uh, you know, throughout the, the, the last 
what, three or four decades, uh, has really changed our view in regards to the role of police officers in our community. Uh, that we left the community-based policing strategies uh, and really started to militarize our police in regards to, you know, fighting this war on, on drugs. And, you know, unfortunately, the war on drugs didn't reduce the drugs and it did uh, you know, disproportionately affect the marginalized communities in, in our country. Uh, so, you know, that, that's where we got to start is one, yeah, we absolutely have to, you know, protect our communities, but we have to do so in a way that's going to build a trust within that community as well. You would think that after decades during the Prohibition era, <laughs> you know, the war on drugs was not going to succeed, just like the war on making sure to ban alcohol was not did not succeed as well. Yeah, that they, it would, they would a, learn a greater market and a greater you know level of profitability, uh, and and that that is not going to go away. Uh, so you know one of the, one of the key things that we really have to start doing is we have to incentivize these drug treatment programs. This isn't something that we're going to just jail our way out of this problem. And that's what we've been doing. We've been trying to, you know, really punish, whether it be low level uh, substance abusers uh, in regards to, you know, working your way up the chain with the idea uh, that you're going to get the next Pablo Escobar. Uh, in reality, you never quite work your way up the chain and you, you, you find yourself, uh, you know, just throwing a lot of people who uh, are suffering from substance abuse issues, uh, who aren't getting the help that they need uh, because they're 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 in the system, and it just creates this this cycle, this pipeline system. What do you say with the idea of having? We talked about earlier about the stress that's put on uh, cops today. The idea of depending on a call that someone who's trained in mental health, along with law enforcement, goes in to investigate the situation. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple, you know, a few different models that I think have been successful, you know, in other places in the country. Uh, one, I, I, ideally, you'd want to have police officers to, you know, have the ability to address these crisis situations. Uh, but I don't think that's feasible. I think, again, they're dealing with so many other issues uh, that you're not going to be able to give every officer those resources to be able to address those. Uh, so, you know, some models actually have, you know, different mental health experts who are embedded with the police officers, whether it's working in tandem or having them available in regards to each department. Uh, what I think is probably, uh, you know, the, the the best model and most feasible model is something that, you know, I've proposed in regards to my own campaign is that you create a non-police crisis response team. Uh, and as part of the district attorney's office, you have a number of different staff, uh, investigators, assistant district attorneys, uh, legal professionals in, in, that, that, that you employ. Uh, and I think that there needs to be a central hub and a leadership that's going to create a non-police crisis response team. So when there is a, another incident in regards to Christian Hall, uh, that it's not left in the hands of the Pennsylvania State Police to say, OK, we're going to get a, a health professional out here to address this. Uh, it becomes that you have that health professional on hand through the district attorney's office uh, and they're responding. Uh, it's, you know, trying to, to take some of the burden off the police officers to make sure that we get the, the right professionals there to address the, the, the situation. Don, I hear what you're saying, and it makes sense. 
But you know there's a culture within these legal systems that are resistant to such change. Let me circle back, if you will, to our early discussion about how black and brown motorists are likely to be stopped in search for routine traffic stops. Now, I recall you mentioned at one of your campaign rallies, you told of a story of a New Jersey black motorist who came into Pennsylvania and was pulled over and then sent to jail unjustly. Can you elaborate on that incident and its significance? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a number of different cases that I've seen, uh, you know, in regards to, you know, the current status of, of you know, the, the legalization of marijuana in some states and the continued uh, criminalization of marijuana in, in Pennsylvania, uh, where an individual drives from New Jersey uh, legally purchasing, uh, you know, marijuana in the state of New Jersey, uh, drives to Pennsylvania to uh, meet with his girlfriend. Uh, he's pulled over for uh, driving with his uh, registration lamps, uh, lights being burned out. Uh, you know, a pretextual stop. Uh, again, uh, in, in, engaged to, you know, ferret out these types of offenses uh, when at the end of the day he's possessing marijuana because he wants to be cooperative and hand it over to the police and give them an indication uh, that he was going to, to, you know, go to his girlfriend's house. He's charged with, you know, felony possession with intent to deliver and he's incarcerated. Uh, so, you know, there are always horror stories that you run into uh, that don't seem to make sense in regards to, you know, actual justice. Out of curiosity, what is the stance of your primary challenger for the DA's office, Mike Mancuso, on the issue of bail reform? Uh, he would disagree with me in regards to, you know, the purpose of bail. Uh, as I indicated, he is a firm believer uh, in regards to the adversarial process, uh, in regards to, you know, the Commonwealth is going to do whatever it takes in regards to securing the conviction and whatever sentence that uh, he deems appropriate where it's the defense attorney then who has to do whatever he, it takes for him to get the victory. And that's where you run into these problems with equality of justice because there's a difference in funding uh, between prosecutors, defense attorneys, and public defenders. So he's basically continuing on, it sounds like continuing on what the current established DA's office is doing. Um, so he's not looking to make any sort of changes to the office in regards to what we just discussed. Well, that's that's what I mean by business as usual. He's been the first assistant uh, for 20 years. Uh, he's had the opportunity to institute these changes in regards to equality of justice, uh, mental health, substance abuse, and the juvenile reform. Um, but it's not going to happen. And I think this is the, the time, uh, this is the moment where we have an opportunity in regards to change and we can affect change based on you know democratic values uh, that are going to address the, the community. Let's talk about the Dobbs decision and its negative impact on a woman's right to choose. What is your position as some states are taking extraordinary measures in preventing a woman to seek abortion, regardless that in some cases the life of the woman or child is in jeopardy? Uh, you know, certainly you're seeing a lot of legislation that is absolutely frightening because on the Dobbs decision, you, you literally had a, a right to privacy uh, that had in, encompassed uh, you know, 50 years in regards to constitutional law stripped away. Uh, and it, you see these different states invoking different legislation, outlawing abortions, uh, imposing criminal sanctions on anybody who imposes 
uh, you know, aiding in, in abortions. Uh, you have different legislation in regards to, you know, different prescriptions. So it opens a gate in regards to prosecutions that could come from anywhere in the country. Uh, I've made very clear in regards to my position uh, is that as long as I was district attorney, uh, I would not cooperate with any agency that would seek to uh, penalize or prosecute any woman who exercised her right to choose or any medical professional that aided her in regards to that right to choose, uh, whether it be investigation or extradition. What changes you would like to see regarding the county's juvenile system? One of my biggest concerns that I've seen, especially in Monroe County, is that uh, juveniles don't always get a second chance, uh, that they are often even treater, treated harsher than adults. Uh, because uh, in, under Pennsylvania, there, there's this idea that juveniles are separate from adult offenses. Uh, and you're never convicted, you're adjudicated delinquent. Uh, so they, they try to avoid the stigma of the criminal process. However, at least in Monroe County, the idea is that they want to see everybody brought through the judicial system uh, with this zero tolerance on any sort of you know, juvenile crime. And they want to put them on probation. And to get on probation, they are usually adjudicated delinquent. Uh, you know, really what we got to do is start giving these offenders, these juveniles, second chances, given the opportunity for their family, given the opportunity uh, for, you know, the community, give the opportunity for the schools to address some of these issues before the legal system is doing it. And that's been one of the great things about, you know, uh, actually running for office is that you meet so many people that are passionate on these issues. Uh, and I've talked to so many different drug and alcohol counselors. I've talked with mental health counselors and I've talked with just, you know, members of the community who would be willing to be mentors. I talked to, uh, you know, a, a veteran from the VFW 509 who has literally begged uh, the system to, to send him kids in regards to, you know, mentoring through, you know, the VFW. Uh, and he would serve you know, a fantastic role model for these kids. Uh, but unfortunately, we are so stuck in the, the mold that, no, it's got to be through a court-approved you know, probation program. It's got to be through a court-approved placement uh, that we've gotten away from you know, the community and you know, evidence-based decisions on you know, what works. What about in Harrisburg? Are you getting support for that idea? Or do you know of legislators who are currently in office who are trying to revamp or help you with that idea? No, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that there has been a, a lot of legislation and a lot of programs that have been moving, uh, you know, towards that direction. Uh, you know, one, one thing that, uh, you know, at the time, Attorney General Shapiro uh, had started was what's called the Letty Program. Uh, it's the Law Enforcement Treatment Initiative. And the idea was to give people an opportunity to come into police and say, hey, look, I've got a problem here. I'm turning over my stash. I need, you know, help in regards to drug treatment and that there wouldn't be any consequences. Uh, and so, you know, it started giving uh, people who suffer from substance abuse, uh, you know, an incentive to, you know, try to get clean, to work with law enforcement. You know, are people still going to be hesitant to do that? Yes. Uh, but that was something that was started in 2018. Uh, and, you know, I, I think now 20 counties have joined in. Uh, Monroe County is not one of them. Really? Okay. Wow. That's interesting. And uh, I, hopefully there'll be an incentive that to make the change. I guess this is where the public needs to be more aware of. And I'll, uh, I'll be upfront with you. I, I think that they now are. In fact, I, 
uh, was just informed the other day that they are getting ready to make an announcement that, you know, after, after five years of this program, uh, starting in this May, that Monroe County will be instituting the Letty program. Excellent. Don, I believe we covered a lot in this episode, and I'm sure we could talk for more hours because there's still so many issues that we probably could not even fit in this um, time frame. But before I let you go, I got to ask you something, because you mentioned in private, you grew up in a Republican household. You politically evolved and became more progressive. In fact, you mentioned to me that you were voting for Democratic candidates since 2008 and officially changed your party affiliation in 2021. What do you make of the current policies conservative lawmakers are attempting or implementing in schools, workplaces, etc., under the guise of being anti-woke? It's racist. I mean, that, that, oh, that's to the be bottom blunt. line. Th- thank uh, you yeah, for saying that. <laughs> it, it, it's racist. I mean, that's... Uh, you know, you, you would think as we sit here in the year 2023 that that, that battle has been fought and won, uh, but it hasn't. Uh, you still see that the same forces uh, that want to whitewash history uh, and demonize black history. Uh, and, you know, it's it's you know, I, I read an article the other day. I don't remember who said it, but the, you know, our, our system is ba- based on power, not justice. Uh, and you know, that's what we have to move for. So I think we're, we see the, I'm hoping that we see the last remnants of a very loud minority, uh, who is trying to hang on. Uh, but I do think that our society is moving forward in regards to, you know, diversion, equity, and inclusion, inclusion. Don, I'm gonna let you close out this segment on why you wish to be Mr. District Attorney. Sure. I, like I've, I've, I've told everybody, you know, I think we can do better than business as usual uh, here in Monroe County. I think uh, the next DA needs to protect the community, but do so by building trust uh, within the community and to build trust. Uh, we have to address equality of justice. We have to have mental health reform. We have to inv- incentivize substance abuse and we have to work towards juvenile reform. Uh, and it's a task that's not going to be just one person whether it's me, whether it's my opponent, it's going to be somebody that's going to have to bring the community together. Uh, And that's why I think I'm best suited in regards to being the next district attorney, because I recognize that it's going to be a community approach. It's going to be a community approach in regards to law enforcement uh, and the professionals within our community. Well, Don, I'll I'll let you say the last statement. I want to thank you for joining Kuka for Politics. I hope you had, I enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully you did as well. can I keep an open door for you to come back on the show? Absolutely. Like I said, this is these are important issues and conversations we should all be having. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by for my closing comments after a brief word. Before I close, let me first say thank you for listening, especially those listening for the very first time. I so appreciate you. I appreciate all my listeners, and I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you wish to provide feedback or comment on any of the episodes, you could reach me at cuckooforpoliticsfeedback at gmail.com. Follow me on social media on Facebook. I can be found under cuckoo, the number four politics, or on Instagram, cuckoo underscore the number four underscore politics. I ask that you continue to subscribe to this podcast, which can be listened on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever podcast platform you choose to listen to this episode. Once you subscribe, 
you'll be able to get the latest episodes that drops as well as some bonus features. You can also listen to my podcast and find past episodes on my very own website, kukuforpolitics.com. Feel free to comment on either of those platforms as I welcome all feedback. Now for my closing thoughts. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a better perspective of not only the candidate, Don Leith, but also how influential the district attorney's office in which he seeks plays in our shared community. Some of the topics discussed during the interview were local, but I'm sure they were all relatable to every citizen living in every town USA. Issues like the additional stress put on our police officers and the lack of training they are given to handle unique circumstances, such as cases involving mental health. Moreover, how the institution within the police has moved away from the community policing to transitioning into a somewhat militarized force, resulting in news reports of incidents where cops have broken the public trust. Other issues, including racial biases in how the laws are executed disproportionately, especially within the black and brown communities, still placate America. The policy of war on drugs needs to be modernized as it has broken up families and the old methods in dealing with such cases have only seemed to benefit those who have financially invested in a prison industrial complex. Don Leith is a person who appears to be ready and determined to take on a job he seeks. Bridging the trust gap between the public and the system is daunting to say the least and will not be easy. But what I've witnessed so far is that Don, at various public events, is physically present and engaging with voters as he seeks not only to understand any given issue, but willing to be that agent of change to restore the public's trust of the system. He is open to reforms as the status quo in some cases needs to be reevaluated like bail reform like the juvenile system, immigration, policing, and most importantly, presenting a sense of transparency when dealing with controversial cases that involves law enforcement. Now, I must admit, prior to this interview, I was not aware of how important the person who serves in that office plays in the community. TV dramas and movies often depict the DA's office as just being an extended arm of the law. Now, that may be true, but the district attorney's more than that, as he or she is the people's attorney. That person elected establishes the tone on how cases will be prosecuted and what types of cases he or she will pursue on behalf of the public's interest. The DA's office should be regarded as a friend, an ally, if you will, of the community, and not only the sole agency that serves members of the law enforcement community. I close with the point of view that Don Leith envisions for Monroe County. Now, you, the listener, can substitute your very own town or city's name as the sentiment is the same. In his own words, the future of Monroe County is bright if we work together to reform our criminal justice system. Our system is failing to keep communities safe and failing to deliver justice. 
We all have the right to be protected and individuals committing crimes need to be brought to justice. Equity, inclusion, diversity are all essential to ensuring our protection and delivering justice for all. Again, thank you, Don Leith, and I wish you good luck in your race. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in my next conversation after Pennsylvania's primary elections as my guest, a minister of a large congregation, sits down on Kuku for Politics as we discuss the subject of religion and politics. Something should not be mixed, or should it? This is Michael, host of the Kuku for Politics podcast. Until the next episode, stay blessed.